You're listening to Next on the Tee with Chris Mascaro, where PGA and LPGA legends, pros and top instructors come to share their stories, insights and tips. Now, back to you, Chris. All right, now back with me here on the French Lick Resort guest line is Paul Rame. Let me remind you about Paul's background. Played his college golf at Seton Hall. Paul became a Class A certified PGA professional back in 1996. In 2013, he was named the Horton Smith Award winner for his dedication to education. Paul has been an assistant golf professional at the Park Country Club up in Williamsville, New York, Canoe Brook Country Club in Summit, New Jersey, and at Oakmont Country Club as well. He was one of the inaugural instructors at the Golf Channel Golf Academy, which you can see on the Golf Channel and GolfChannel.com. He was a 2016 Connecticut PGA Section Teacher of the Year Award winner. Golf Digest consistently ranks him as one of the top three instructors in the state of Connecticut. And since 2003, he has been the director of golf and club and club manager at Bulls Bridge Golf Club in Kent, Connecticut, which is in the western part of the state, almost right there on the New York border. And I'm very honored to have him back with me again tonight here on Next on the Tee. Good evening, Paul. Thanks for coming back on the show. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks for having me back. So, Paul, before we get into all the golf stuff, I want to get an update on your son, Hunter, who is a tremendous college golfer. I, he followed you uh, at uh, Seton Hall. So uh, give us an update. How's Hunter doing? Uh, it's nice of you to ask. Uh, he had a, a decent freshman year. He uh, didn't have a whole lot of expectations, played a couple events in the fall, and unfortunately uh, didn't play uh, too much in the spring. But uh, fortunately for his mom and dad, he didn't make a bogey in the classroom and ended up uh, the year uh, on the Dean's list. And uh, he's back home now working hard for his uh, full complement of summer events. And uh, they've got a couple of kids graduating. So he's hoping to, you know, move up the, the, uh, the roster spots on the team. So Paul, is it now that he's back for summer, is it something you're going to work on his game with him as an instructor or do you have to sort of step back and, and just be dad and let uh let his coach be the guy that uh, works with him on his game. No, you know, I've, uh, I've been working with him for a while here and, uh, he actually had a couple lessons with, with Tom Patrick, believe it or not, who's going to be on your show here wow. later. And, and, and yeah, I've known Tom for, you know, post better part of 20, 25 years. And, you know, Tom was in Naples and, and out on Long Island. It just became a little bit too tough to, to get to Tom. So I've, I've taken over that responsibility and, I work with a couple of the other kids on the on the team at Seton Hall before Hunter got there. So, you know, I head down, you know, probably twice a month while they're in school. Uh, a couple of times the boys came up to Connecticut to visit us. And, uh, you know, now that he's home, um, you know, we're back out on the range. And we've had a little bit of a tough spring weather-wise up here. So he's actually been hitting some balls in my indoor facility, uh, which I've actually closed down, you know, now for the, uh, for the summer season. But he's working hard. And, uh you know, he knows I'm here. Uh, you know, I'm probably hovering a little bit too much for him, but, um, you know, he knows that I'm here. And if he needs me, I'm, I'm willing to jump in. And Paul, we talk a fair amount on this show about the mental side of the game. And I was curious, you know, for, for Hunter or for your students, when you, when you start working with them or you start communicating those sorts of things, you know, with your son, how do you deal, how do you help him deal with the mental side of the game, particularly you know, as you get through high school and into college, you're starting to play in front of some crowds, right? Now you've got some galleries mm-hmm. there, and that may be the first time that uh, he starts to deal with those sorts of things, or even for your students and the members, you know, at where you're at. 
How do you help them deal with playing in front of the crowd for the first time? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I think, you know, initially first you see the people, you know, and then then secondarily you got to tune them out or, or, you know, lots of times let them frame your targets. Um, you know, the more the people that you have lined in the fairways, you know, the, the more that they become kind of natural borders and, and let the fairway kind of stick out. And, and also with the green, you know, when you're hitting your second, your approach shot into the green, you know, that, that semicircle of people around the green is, is your target. And that's where you're looking to, you know, hit it in between them. I mean, obviously people at the tour level are, are much more familiar with hitting it, you know, around, around fans, but, uh, you know, it's just something that you'll get better at as you continue to do it. How's it being his oh, dad out in the gallery watching him? It's terrible. I mean, uh, his first event I drove it was a Saturday. He, he, you know, he, with with golf stat now, I can track just about every third hole they post his score. So I bailed out of work on a Saturday, and the second Saturday of September, drove six hours to Colgate to kind of catch him. Uh, you know, afternoon around there, and he he shot one over in his first college tournament, first college round, and and then. You know, followed it up uh, with a couple over par in the afternoon. I think he got a little fatigued, but yeah, it's terrible. It's it's I you know would rather be the one hitting the golf shots than uh, than watching my kids hit their golf shots anytime. So I'm a basketball. All switching gears, switching gears a little bit. It looks like you recently took a trip over to Scotland, and from a from uh, some of the things you posted on social media, it looks like one of those golf trips of a lifetime. Talk about what you did over there and where you played. Yeah, so well, actually. Honestly, uh, we, I take about 15 members every year to Scotland or Ireland. So we've been doing this for about five or six years and we've got a great group of people who go every year. So we started out, uh, the first, uh, day at Nairn, which is just, you know, in the last 15 years hosted, uh, the Walker Cup. Then, uh, we went up to the Scottish Highlands. We had a little bit of rain there the first day. Then, uh, next day we played at, um, Brora in the morning and, and Royal Dornock. Um, which is, you know, top five in the, in the, in the world. Brewer is an interesting golf course. Their maintenance budget is, a, is, is like $200,000. They literally have sheep and cattle that graze and, 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 you know, cut the rough in the fairway. So they have electric fences around each green that you got to step over. So the cattle and the sheep don't step up on the greens. <laughs> wow. Um, then we played Castle Store, which is a newer, a little bit more Americanized golf course, uh, owned by the same, People that own King's Barns, it was some beautiful views. And the, the real, you know, I always say to the members that I'm taking, I hope we get like nine holes of real Scottish weather. Well, we play this golf course called Cruden Bay, which is an amazing golf course. Uh, the routing, the, the views, uh, there's a huge old castle there, which was the inspiration for, you know, Bram Stoker was on a ship coming into port there at Cruden Bay and he saw this castle and it was his inspiration for Dracula. It's how, old and medieval this area is and, and it was uh unfortunate we did that was the one day we got the sideways rain the 20 mile per 30 mile per hour winds and the you know in the 50 degree weather because some of the views there are just amazing but cruden bay was an incredible incredible golf course and then the last day was we you know we were supposed to play cruden bay again but unfortunately we couldn't so we got on a golf course called panmure which is right next door to carnoustie now we've played carnoustie in some of our prior trips so you know, a couple of the members were, were asking, well, why aren't we playing Carnoustie again? Um, but Pamir turned out to be the golf course at Hogan prior to the 53 Open at Carnoustie. He went to Pamir for the two weeks before and practiced uh, there, basically, 
on on the fifth and sixth hole, which are you know two or sixth and seventh hole, excuse me, these two great par fours that uh, you know he believes got him ready for playing at Cardinals and ultimately winning in 1953. So you got the sideways rain, so you got that piece. Now, so often we hear mm-hmm. about those sorts of conditions over there. You get all four seasons in the course of a round of golf. So you got the sideways rain piece. Did you get the winter, mm-hmm. summer, and fall as well? Well, yeah, we did. I mean, we had it. You know, one day it was 50, that, you know, and then one day we were down to, you know, just golf shirt, you know, golf, you know, golf shirt, 70, 70 degrees. One day at Royal Dornick and the sun came out and it was beautiful. So you do, you experience all four seasons. So, Paul, bringing it back to home, talk about your, your home course, Bullsbridge Golf Club, because from what I've seen online, it looks like a great Tom Fazio design. Talk about what it's like there. Well, I'm, I've been very fortunate. I've been here since the beginning, 2003. Um, we have about... It's a, it's really a second home community. I, I call it the anti Hamptons. Um, you know, it's for people that don't want to schlep out, you know, east uh, after a long week in Manhattan. They they you know get in their cars, they drive up to the the country here. We've got about 160 members, play about eight thousand rounds of golf a year. Um, it's a great group of people. It allows me to really interact with people. Uh, you know, Fazio did a magnificent job. We started about 800 feet above sea level. You know, you kind of play down and then you play back up and you never really feel like you're, you know, standing on the side of a hill like some of the golf courses you do, like in, in Vermont. But, uh, it's a great group of people. We, we, you know, have a great instruction program, a pretty good junior golf program. And, uh, you know, it's a hope, place I hope I, I can retire from in about 20 years. So let's 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 expand a little bit on that. And talk about your instructional program, and then uh, certainly talk about the junior golf program that you got there. But I wanted to start with now. I saw on on the site bowlsbridgegolfclub.com, and you mm-hmm. go under the family friendly tab, and there's uh-huh. a picture of a junior golfer hitting water balloons with an iron. What's that? Yeah, drill? absolutely. Well, I mean, it's uh, you got to hook them with and, and let them believe that golf is fun uh, before you really start to throw all the etiquette and rules at it we, we you know we've got a philosophy that you know it's okay we you know there's we, we a busy day for us during the week in the summer is about 30 people so kids can really be kids there they can run around we got a frosty machine and they're having ice cream every time we have a break and and you know there's you know there's pictures of my kid on there holding a frog i mean they don't they they leave ending up thinking that golf is fun at the end we kind of trick them um you know, and we're competing against tennis and lacrosse and, you know, ice hockey up here. So it's, uh, it's our way of kind of setting the hook early with these kids and, and, uh, you know, making, you know, creating lifelong golfers. So let's talk a little bit about the other instructional programs that you have there. And I saw that you were partnering with Swing U on an instructional mm-hmm. and training app. Talk about what that's all about. Yeah. Yeah. So, Pretty excited about this. We're just unveiling it, just kind of out of the beta stage now. Um, you know, ability for me to upload content whenever I, you know, whatever I want, basically. At, at, you know, walking down the fairway, you come up with a drill, you just load it up, and you know, I, you know, other things like the pictures from our, our, our recent golf trip to Scotland. So, you know, the ability. I, I'm not hoping to slow down play, but if if somebody's out there and they're on the golf course and they come into a situation at our at our course where we play 8,000 rounds, there's never anybody behind you, and they've got the ball below their feet, they can go to the app real quick and uh, and take a look on how to hit that shot. I wouldn't recommend it for you know the course where they're doing 25,000 rounds, but for my members and my <laughs> students, I think it's uh, 
you know, it was something that I've always thought that I wanted to do and, and swing you came along. They've been terrific. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to using this device, you know, this app for, for years to come. Paul, I want to get a couple of playing lessons for our listeners as well from you. And, and, and one of the toughest shots in golf is when we've short-sided ourselves just off the green in, in some heavy rough. It's a shot we typically mm-hmm. were either trying to scoop it out and we hit it fat or we just dump it right there, you know, and, and don't move the ball very far or scull it, you know, completely across mm-hmm. the other side of the green. So how can we do a better job of getting that ball on the green and close to the hole? Yeah, well, I, I see that a lot. You know, we've got a lot of steep embankments at Bulls Bridge. And, and you know, I, I really like to see, to begin with, people keeping a lot of weight on their left side. The, the scooping, the, the hitting behind it, the hitting thin comes from when that weight shifts from the left side to the right side. And, you know, that golf club gets into the grass, you know, behind the, behind the ball, the thick grass behind the ball. So I like to see people set up with about 70% of the weight on their, on their left side, maybe get a little taller. That's going to help with a steeper angle of attack. And, and then really feel like you, you lift the club. I like to see the left wrist almost get a little cupped in the backswing. That would mean, you know, like rather than having your left wrist roll around you, feel like it's moving upward and then really allowing that club to, you know, come down steeply, you know, into the ball. And then I, I almost like to see a little bit of a lower finish. A lot of times when people try and create a higher finish, that golf club leaves the hitting area too quickly. And, and, you know, once again, that leading edge can get into the ball or, we, you know, if we can get uh, get a little heavy. Paul, another shot we've been talking about here recently, my father and I actually had this conversation this past weekend, is using the hybrid around the greens mm-hmm. to chip with. Talk about how the ground can be our friend, how we can more effectively use the hybrid versus choosing a well-lofted club. Yeah, well, you know, having just come back from Scotland, I mean, this was a shot that I talked to a lot of my members about when we were over there. There's so much tight grass and, you know, you know, the, it, it, you first have to identify it, Chris. I mean, I think the hard part is so many times people just kind of default to their lob wedge, you know, and oh, I'm only six paces off. I'm going to take that lob wedge and, you know, you got this tight grass and, and, you know, going back to the last question, that body starts moving a little bit. That sand wedge is going to bounce off that grass right into the back of that ball. So, you know, we, we talked a lot about this on our Scotland trip with, you know, using your putter or using your hybrid. And, you know, I get in there and, and try and choke down a little bit first on the hybrid. I play the ball still in the, in the middle of my stance. Um, I, I use a putting motion. You, you have to develop a little bit of touch. It takes a little bit of time. I mean, not every shot is the same. So you have to you know, realize that ball is going to come off of that hybrid with a little more pop. And, you know, the, that little bit of loft on that hybrid is going to help get that ball initially off the ground, get it up on top of the grass and, and get it rolling, you know, hopefully up onto the green and close to the hole. You know, similar to my putting motion, I'm not engaging my wrists or, you know, my elbows at all, just trying to, you know, use my sh- shoulders and arms and swing that, you know, just back and forth like my putter. And so sticking in that same sort of area, I think one of the things that we all struggle with is trying to get to club selection, right? I mean, we talk about the hybrid mm-hmm. here. You mentioned sand wedge. If it's just a sort of a flat lie and now we're somewhere in that 20, 30 yards off the green or even closer for that matter. Talk mm-hmm. about your, you know, your idea for shot selection. How do we know or for club selection? How do we know which one to go with? Should we be using a lower lofted club like a seven or an eight iron? nine iron pitching wedge how do you teach your students to decide which club to pull 
So I'll take a lot, a lot of my, that's a great question. I'll take a lot of my students out to an area and I'll put three T's in the ground. I'll put, you know, we have a lot of long greens at Bulls Bridge. So I'll take them out, you know, 20 paces off the green or something. I'll put a T, you know, you know, five, six paces on the next T, 10, 15 paces on, you know, the next T, you know, 20, 20, 25 paces on. And Hogan had an old saying, you know, if the pin's in the front, the ball goes in high, pins in the back, the ball goes in low. The pins on the left, it goes in right to left. The pins on the right, you know, it goes in left to right. So I'll try and get in there and I'll get three different clubs with them. I may get their sand wedge, their nine iron and their seven iron. And we'll stand there from the same spot and we'll try and make the same swing. Now, this is a little bit bigger than the swing I just explained where, you know, it's, it's just a putting motion. This is a little bit bigger than your typical putting motion, but, but it's still, I'm still not using much wrist hinge. Or, or elbows at all. So if we can kind of continue to make a, a bigger one lever motion, a bigger, you know, almost where you're swinging that club, you know, just shy of waist high and you haven't really engaged the wrist yet. And then swinging it through to a similar length on the follow through, you use that, you know, that pitching wedge or sandwich first, you're going to have a little bit higher trajectory. The ball is not going to have as much run out. You go to that nine iron, you're going to have a mid-height trajectory, mid-trajectory, and then, you know, some run out. And then you go to that seven iron when that ball, you know, it pins in the back. And that ball is going to have a lower trajectory, obviously, and a little bit more run. But, you know, we've kind of made one motion. And, you know, you're kind of in a little bit of a gray area here. You're not chipping and you're not, you know, you're not out there pitching where you need to start hinging and using your wrists and, and, and elbows much. But so in that gray area, you can kind of, you know, accomplish, um, you know, three, four, five, six different distances with the same motion and different, different clubs. But, you know, same thing, you know, a lot of weight, some weight on the left side. So we make sure we're catching that ball first. We don't want to, you know, get moving around and, and hit into the ground, you know, behind it. So one more before I let you go, Paul, and yeah, staying on absolutely. that same sort of, uh, that same area. Talk about stance and ball position. I've seen people with a, with a shoulder width stance. I've seen it with feet almost close together. I've seen, Phil Mickelson mm-hmm. talk about, you know, either the ball is way forward off the front toe or it's either, is either way mm-hmm. back off the back toe. Talk about what you teach and how we should be, you know, ball position and standing up to that shot. Yeah. So I think, you know, starting out with stance with, you have to assess somebody's mobility and stability. I mean, you know, if somebody's got bad balance, you know, you might go with a little bit wider stance. If somebody's, you know, pretty agile, you know, maybe you get them a little bit more narrow so they to maintain their mobility. And then I'm a believer that, uh, if we're just trying to hit a standard, you know, standard trajectory shot that, you know, you're kind of your seven iron through sand wedge is played from the middle of your stance. Then you would move the golf ball, you know, a half inch forward for each club moving, you know, all the way to just about, you know, your left instep with the driver. I'm, I'm a believer that you you get that golf ball in the front of your stance. It's going to be more likely to let people, you know, move through the golf shot, get, get, get onto their left leg. We start, bringing that ball too far back in their stance, you know, unless you're hitting a specialty shot, a low shot, if you're playing in some wind, um, you know, and you move it back in your stance, so that ball should be from, you know, played from the center of your stance, you know, up to towards your left instep with the driver. But like I said, I, I really do assess, you know, stance, stance with based on what I see in the person's, you know, mobility and, and, and how stable they are. Paul, before we let you go, let our listeners know, how can they stay up to date with all the great things you're doing and follow you, whether it's online or it's on social media? Uh, well, you know, www.paulremaygolf and, uh, uh, com, obviously. And then, um, on Twitter at Paul Ramey Golf, uh, Instagram, you know, Paul Ramey Golf. Uh, that's about it. 
Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking time out of your night to come back and be a part of the show. I hope you'll do it again soon. Always like spending time with you. Absolutely, Chris. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Great talking to you. And so tell Tom Patrick there that I said hi and uh, good luck out there in Indiana this summer. I will do it. Take care, Paul. All the best to you and your family. Thanks, we'll too. catch up soon. You too. Thanks so much. Bye. That is the great Paul Ramey, R-A-M-E-E. So check him out uh, online, paulramegolf.com, and on uh, on social media, at Paul Ramey. I tell you, folks, you, you take a look at some of the things that he posts. First, from a, an instructional perspective, great videos out there available. Again, as I mentioned in his intro, one of the inaugural instructors at uh, Golf Channel Academy. So great stuff available out there in video, and then also stuff that uh, you'll find on his website, and uh, on social media as well. Look forward to having Paul back on the show again soon.